When you have a child that leaves the LDS Church, you're taking a parenting detour. Have you ended up in a place you never thought you would be? When life takes you on a different path and it seems like everything has gone wrong, it's your opportunity to learn to show up differently and to learn to love in a whole new way. No matter why your child has left the church, you're in the right place to learn how to parent through the detour with me, LDS Life Coach Tina Gosney. Buckle up, let's go on this ride together. Hi, this is Tina. I just wanted to pop in here real quick before you listen to this episode and give a special thanks to Tom Christofferson for allowing me the time, an hour, to chat about how we as parents can help our LGBTQ kids and ourselves. How do we use this situation in our lives to become who we're supposed to be and allow Christ to guide us through our lives so that we can develop a better heart. So Tom has written a couple of books that are excellent. You're going to want to check those out. They're in the show notes and links to them. You can find those in the show notes. And once again, a thank you and a shout out to Tom Christofferson for his time. And I hope you enjoy this interview. Hi, I want to welcome Tom Christofferson to the Parenting Through the Detour podcast. So Tom and I became acquainted a couple of years ago when I reached out to him through email and I asked for his help and advice. My son had come out the previous year and my husband and I were still trying to navigate how to be the parents of a gay son. And Tom was really helpful in helping me and he gave me some really great gems of, of advice that have helped me so much in my journey as the mother of a gay son. So I knew I really wanted him to be on this podcast because I know he'll be able to help so many of you too as you travel this road. So Tom, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. You and we're just it's a pleasure to have you. And I know that most mm-hmm. of the listeners probably already know who you are, but there might be some who don't. So would you just tell them a little bit about yourself and how you came to be where you are today? Sure. I uh <clears throat> pardon me. I think the most helpful guests you could have would be my parents, who are unfortunately no longer living. So I will stand in proxy for them. Um, I uh, came out to my family when I was about 25. I had been on a mission um, in Montreal and then uh, returned to BYU and had been married for a short period of time and just felt that I'd come to the end of the road of uh, trying to do everything I could from a church perspective. Uh, and it just, it was neither making me happy nor anyone uh, around me. And I knew I needed to to try something else. Um, and then uh, just to give you the short version, fast forward about uh, 20 some odd years. And, and I uh, had been with my partner of about 12 years, um, decided that, that a deeper purpose in my life was missing uh, despite you know great happiness in in every other sphere, and uh, began to attend church again, and seven years later uh, rejoined the church. So that's uh, that's kind of the very short version of, of why we might be talking, because my experience um, as a gay man uh, who has been in the church and out of the church and in the church again, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and as the son of uh, parents who I think were inspired in the way that they handled uh, our family situation. And you are the brother of elder. I have Christophe. I have four brothers actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the one more people know probably is Elder Christopherson, but um yeah, there there are five 
sons in our family. Elder Christofferson's the oldest, I'm the youngest. Great, thank you. So I know you have worked to help parents and kids that have come out. And in the email that you, as we were corresponding back a few, you know, a couple of years ago, you mentioned that you had helped some kids as young as 10, 11, 12 um, and helped their parents. So what is the advice that you would give a parent whose child has just come out as LGBT, um, regardless of the age? I, I'm not sure if I um, have great advice to give. I guess what I would say is um, that that this is a situation in life that holds great opportunity. Um, I think for the parents, the great opportunity is that this can help them to draw closer to the Savior, that in this experience where so many questions are unanswered and, um, and so much inspiration, revelation is needed, um, that these experiences can can help us to open our hearts and minds um, in uh, in ways that had never existed before and in ways that allow us to draw closer to the Savior and to feel his love and awareness of us and of the child uh, much more deeply, perhaps, than had been the case before. I love that because I have found that same thing to be true in my life. And I think that there are <clears throat> there are um Plenty of parents who use it as an opportunity to turn away from the Savior. And I see just as many parents using it as an opportunity to turn turn towards the Savior. And both lead to very different roads. And both lead to very different um, outcomes with the family, not just the child. um, But the whole family actually is affected, Mm -hmm. I think, by the way that the parents handle the situation with their child. And I, you know, I, I think I don't want to uh, make drawing closer to the Savior synonymous with church activity, because right. I think that's a <clears throat> that's a separate question. Um, but but I think the very foundation, the most critical thing that any of us do is is to draw to turn to the Savior and to be willing for Him to heal us, uh, to allow Him to heal us, and um, and so I think that's the most critical. Uh, learning for any child, but but the LGBTQ kids uh, at that point, especially, is to gain um, confidence and personal experience that their Savior is aware of them and loves them, and that they can make the decisions that they'll need to make at various points in their lives um, with confidence in His awareness and love for them, um, and uh, you know, and the parents the same. And again, I just I feel like sometimes we talk about church as all in or all out, and uh, and I don't think that's a particularly helpful thing. I think what we want to focus on is that our foundation is the Savior, and and then we add to that uh, our witness of the Book of Mormon as a second witness of Him, and then uh, uh, the the power of restoration, especially in the temple. The, the, the gift of being able to bind the eternal family of heaven in which each of us has a place. Um, all those things, you know, are added onto the foundation of the Savior. Um, and each is, uh, I think, important in its own time and sphere. But everybody needs to, to be able to find their own path and their own way of sorting through these things. Um, and I and my hope is always that 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 grounding 
is always Christ, right? That that the we continue to help children draw learn to draw close to Him, to feel uh, and understand His voice uh, through the Spirit, um, and continue to grow in that way. And and um, you know there may be times when uh, for some church feels difficult, but um, hopefully that. Uh, again, it doesn't change our foundation, which is the Savior. Yes. And I think it's not just important for the LGBT child to feel that grounding and love of the Savior, but that is something that we need to instill in not only in our children, but there are plenty of adults who don't have that grounding yet too. Sure, sure. And, and need to find that for themselves. And I know that my son, I, and I, I don't think I told you this after we emailed my son actually married uh, his boyfriend last year. Congratulations. And thank you. Them. And he, his, the, the man that he married is a return missionary. Um, my son did not serve a mission, but they really struggled when, you know, after they decided to come out officially and, and be married and um, they really struggled. It was during COVID so they had a little bit of a reprieve from from not having any and even an option to go to church. Right. But then when you know church started coming back, they really struggled to know what to do. Yeah. And you know, I had to sit down and talk with them about if you decide that church is not a good place for you right now, you absolutely don't have to leave your relationship with Heavenly Father. Right. With Jesus right. Christ. That's so important for you to maintain. And to strengthen and have it as an importance in your life, whether you not whether or not you decide that church is a healthy place for you to be. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. I think the you know part of the responsibility for the rest of us is to make sure that that our congregations are places that are welcoming for anyone who wants to join. That um, that anyone who opens those doors feels that they're welcomed and accepted uh, and loved. Um, but each individual also has to figure out, okay, where, um, how can I feel that I am of use to the Savior? And what are the ways where I can um, help to share His love uh, with other people? And and you know, for many of us, the church is a is a vehicle that helps with that. Um, but there are others, and uh, your son and his husband, you know, may find at least for a time that that there are other places that help them to feel more of use in the Savior's uh, world among his children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kind of, so let's go back to the parent who's just had a child come out. What are the pitfalls that you can see, foresee them encountering over the next few years? I just go back to my own circumstance, which is that, you know, for the first couple of years after I came out, it was really tough with my family. We had a on both sides, had to work very hard at trying to uh, rebuild communication without defensiveness, and uh, and to um, I think assure ourselves what we knew, but but needed to reinforce, which is that our love for each other was not based on on um, sort of how the neighbor saw us or conduct or whatever uh, metric you want to use, but that. Uh, that our love for one another was was based on uh, our delight in each other and our desire to uh, know one another as we really are, to be connected 
uh, in unity as a family. And that's that took work and it took time. And I also always say, look, you know, I think for most of us as LGBTQ individuals, you know, we've wrestled with this internally for a while before we start to share it with anyone else. And so, you know, the I think be aware that um, the parents need to go through the same process the child has, which is to really wrestle with it in their hearts and minds and prayers uh, to try and sort it out. And then, you know, over time, a, a path becomes clear or over time, peace returns. And, um, you know, hopefully over time, that has uh, brought then a very much deeper connection to Heavenly Parents and Savior um, because of the, the wrestle um, with, the, with the challenges that were unexpected and the questions that were unanswered. Yeah, and that's interesting that you, I don't know if I've, I've heard you say before that your parents, that the whole thing was a learning experience for your family. Yeah. Because we, as parents in the LGBTQ LDS community, look at your parents as, you know, this is the epitome of who you want to be. But that's so helpful to know that they also had to figure that out. Yeah. And that was a learning experience for them. You know, an interesting thing was when I was uh, writing the book about our family's experiences and my word family's experiences, um, had a, a, it, it created an opportunity to talk to my brothers about, um, you know, the whole situation. And I would share with them chapters as I wrote them, and uh, both to make sure that uh, that my memory jived with theirs, mm-hmm. um, but also to try not to put words into mom and dad's mouths. Um, based on only my interaction with them. And and as a result of that, I learned some things that I had known before. One was that when I very first came out to them for at least a year on fast Sunday, my parents asked my brothers and their wives to join in fasting that I would um, be changed. You know, and I, I didn't know that. And I certainly over time, that would not, that was not their prayer. You know, their, their peace came from knowing that, uh, you know, that the Lord could work uh, with me and through me exactly as I am, uh, as he can with each one of us. But, you know, but that was a learning process. And I, so, you know, just none of us, um, I think, spring to this um, instantly, or if we do, it's because we've failed to wrestle with some, some really challenging things. We've sort of just defined the questions out of existence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's really helpful in our growth. I think um, our, our good friend Sherry Dew wrote the book Worth the Wrestle. And I think that's exactly right. It is questions are good and difficult questions are great because they require us to engage both our hearts and our minds as we seek a deeper understanding from the Lord for things that we have not understood in the past. Yeah, uh, great questions are always going to help us grow. Yeah. And the ones that we don't have the answers to help right. us deepen our faith and our trust in in Christ and in Heavenly Father. Yeah. And to just to know that they are there and that there are some things that we don't have to have answers to on this earth, um, but we can still trust in them, I think is so valuable. It's been so valuable to me. You know, I really, I've been thinking a lot about the spiritual gift of hope um, because it's, as I, as I thought about it, it's not optimism and it's not uh, expectation of a, of a specific outcome. 
the spiritual gift of hope is hope in Christ. And it is that as we have had a desire to believe and then had the experiences in our hearts and minds that have given us greater confidence in our belief or faith, then we then we come to have that trust in the Savior. And that trust becomes hope that we can, in fact, uh, have hearts like his, that we can develop um, into the the our, the potential that we have as children of heavenly parents that we can return uh, to them you know all all those things are the spiritual hope that we have in Christ and I think the you know I think that's the in a sense it's both the focus and the reward of our wrestle that um, that we desire to be able to uh, turn to the Savior and to be healed. Uh, by him of all the wounds self-inflicted and otherwise uh, in our lives. Um, and and each time as we do turn to him, I think we also gain a stronger spiritual hope um, in our uh, eventual opportunity to become as he is and to be with him. Yeah, so it it takes that softening of the heart to open yourself up to that. Right. And, and in a way that it takes, <clears throat> takes the breaking of a heart. Oh, yes. <laughs> that somehow the, the breaking allows uh, a heart to be reborn. Yeah. And uh, expanded, I guess. We, we're, I'm taking this metaphor and killing it. But, <laughs> but I, really, <laughs> I, I, I really do feel like our, um, our experience, especially as we go through these you know, really difficult times and and for some, it is an LGBTQ child and what that means in their own life, in their faith, in, their, um, in how they conduct themselves in the world. But it can also be uh, serious illness or divorce uh, or uh, challenges to our faith uh, understanding. And you know, so I've, I've come to feel like each of us are going to have some circumstance in our lives that will shake us to our roots, that will really challenge uh, what we've been comfortable with up until that point. But if we'll stick with it, if we'll go through it instead of around it, yeah. um, then I think that is where the opportunity is for our hearts to be remade and and to become more like his. And and the, another thing I really hope, especially for parents of LGBTQ kids, is um, that this experience doesn't stop with gaining greater love for everyone in the LGBTQ community. I hope it also expands our love for people in the LDS community who may disappoint us with their initial um, responses or who haven't had personal experiences as we have and therefore may have some blind spots uh, in their own love and acceptance. But I hope it also expands our hearts to um, refugees and, and homeless people and uh, people with other difficulties that may not be apparent on the surface. You know, just that that somehow when when we have these heart enlarging and mind enlarging experiences, you know, I hope that we don't stop with that direct case, but that but we then say it's almost like the ninth article of faith that God will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to His kingdom. You know, I think He will also reveal many great and important things pertaining to those around us and to the ways that we can be um, useful and useful servants to him mm-hmm. um, that would that we can convey his love and direct people toward his healing 
uh, in all circumstances. And I, I think that helps us not to you know, become militant <laughs> about you know one particular cause. And I'm, I'm not, I don't mean we're not um, wholly supportive or wholly engaged, but I mean that it that we still want to see the bigger picture of everything, uh, which is the the purpose of life and our opportunity to learn and grow and develop, and how that uh, that growth often, if not always, comes from how we engage with others and learn to love in the way the Savior does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the well. I think that we're actually actually all supposed to have those moments where we feel broken. Right. And completely helpless and hopeless. I think there's at least one of those in everybody's life. If they're lucky, you know, it doesn't feel lucky at the time, but you look back on it and you just think you that looks maybe like a turning point where you opened your heart up. I remember that moment for me. Um, and then I think it really is easy as the parent of an LGBT child to to want to have everybody be loving and understanding towards your child. Right. And at the same time, forget that you need to extend them that same love and compassion and understanding that they haven't had the same experiences that you've had. Yeah. That maybe they haven't had the same wrestle. They've had a different wrestle. Yeah. And you can appreciate that humanness in them, but your wrestles have been different and you might see things differently. And just to be respectful of that at this, hoping that they extend you the same respect. Right. You give them that respect. You know, I in the in that first book, I said uh, the signs on our churches say "visitors welcome." I wish they would say "all are welcome." And over time, I've come to think more about that. That welcome is insufficient. I wish they said something like "we love mercy," because maybe maybe that would help us to remember that the mercy we so strongly desire from the Savior uh, is required of us to one another. That, that if we are a people who love mercy, then we don't have any problems with acceptance. <laughs> we don't have a problem with welcome or love or engagement um, because we are, our focus is uh, on giving that which we most desire to receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I haven't heard that one before. I have heard the all are welcome. <laughs> that yeah. I hoped our, our signs were changed to that, but I haven't heard the mercy one. I love that. So when when a parent has a child come out, they they become pretty hypersensitive yeah. to comments, you know, along the same line of conversation, um, to comments that other people make, especially at church, and yeah. things that nev- never would have struck them as offensive or hurtful before, now all of a sudden are going to be offensive or hurtful, True. and they're going to be seeing them everywhere, yeah. and. One thing that I work with the the parents as a coach is realizing that this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And usually they've already experienced it. So they already know. And just like where that feeling of being offended is coming from. So I think that awareness um, in one sense that it wakes you up to see where maybe you've been insensitive in the past right. and made comments that other people maybe were, were offended or hurt by. Um, but also into where is your control in your own life and how you are going to think and feel about the things and the comments that you hear at church. Maybe that are said to you or about you or, or just sometimes when we're really um, 
sensitive about something in our life, the most benign comment doesn't feel benign. It can feel very hurtful. (laughs) That's a, that's a great insight. And I, I think you're wise to, to help people prepare for it. And I, you know, I, I think uh, certainly parents know, and I know uh, for in the frame of the relationship that I enjoyed for 19 years, but um, when uh, the person you love is hurt, it's more painful to you than if you yourself were hurt. And I, and that's, it's tough to say, you know, uh, we all know that in, in pain comes growth, right? Um, and so we can find in ourselves uh, many times the resilience to be able to say, you know, I can get through this. You know, the, the pain in the end will become uh, for my good, right? Uh, but it's really hard to say that for someone you love <laughs> and to uh, to kind of allow the pain to have its purpose Um when you most desire to stop it and have that person you love not be in pain. But, and so that's tough. And I think, I think your strategy of helping people prepare for it, be aware of it is a smart one. I had a a wonderful learning experience myself with a family uh, having lunch after church and um, something had been said that the sibling of an LGBTQ kid in the family uh, had heard in their Sunday school class that, that they heard as being really uh, unkind to LGBTQ people. And that sibling, you know, wonderfully was incredibly protective of of the person that they loved and was just, you know, angry uh, at the individual who'd said something and at the fact that it would be said in in a church setting. And and very wise parents said to this sibling, uh, you know, I know Sister Johnson, the woman, the teacher who had made the comment, and I don't think she's had the same experience as we've had. But, you know, um, when there have been times in the ward that someone's had a particular need, I've always seen her be the first to raise her hand to go help, and often in ways that, that other people don't see. And so I know that she has a really good heart, and that says to me that she was not uh, that she doesn't have the experience or insight to know that what she said would be hurtful. And and so they, the parents you know, said to that child, you know, what she said wasn't right. And it is hurtful. And I'm sorry that you heard it. And, I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm, I love that you care so much for your sibling, that that was painful to you. But one of the things that we can learn in the process is that often painful things are not the result of intent, uh, but rather of lack of knowledge or lack of information. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a helpful learning experience for everybody. And and look, we don't we're not encouraging people to be in abusive situations and continue, right? You know, if someone insists on repeating uh, inflicting pain after uh, they've been given an opportunity to understand the impact, then obviously we take ourselves out of that circumstance. Mm-hmm. But you know, by far, much more frequent is the is simply lack of knowledge, and the, that um, I don't think we need to make ourselves be the educator of everyone in the ward or everyone around us. Um, there will be times when a quiet word can be shared, and there are other times when we can just say, you know, life will be a tutor to this individual, probably in more profound ways than I could be simply by uh, speaking a truth. 
Mm -hmm. And I think the spirit guiding in that to know which which time to whether to say something or the whether to just, you know, let it be, let it go and let the spirit do the teaching and life experience do the teaching later on. That's really, really when you're tuned into the spirit. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for adding that because I think that is the critical point. Yeah. So I've noticed in, as I talk to parents that as they struggle through this process of, you know, learning how to love and accept their child, that when they talk about their LGBTQ child and they talk about their heterosexual children, they talk about them in two different, it's like they're talking about two different families almost. So Mm -hmm. there's a different, um, they use different word, different word choices within their LGBT when they talk about that child. Um, their tone of voice is different. Their body mannerisms change. And if I ask them about that, they, you know, they're very quick to assure me that they love all their children. And I don't doubt that they do love all their children. But I think that a lot of people struggle to know how to be loving to their LGBTQ child, especially when that other child that's heterosexual is doing all the things that they the checklist that they have as parents that they wanted them to do. And they're so proud of everything that this other child is doing. And then they have this LGBT child and they're just not sure how to be loving and supportive to that child. So what would you say to that parent that's having struggled to be loving? You know, I, I've seen that in two directions. Interestingly, I've seen some parents who embrace what I would call gay exceptionalism which is that no rules apply uh, to a gay kid or no, no standards, no expectations that, that, uh, that simply by being gay there, they've removed themselves from any, um, I don't know, uh, expectation of conduct or anything else. It's which you know, I don't think is helpful or healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the other side, which you sort of mentioned, which is that, you know, we love the kid, but somehow we're um, separated from um, being able to uh, be proud of them as they are, who they are. And I, and I, I think both of those extremes are not, you know, terribly helpful. I think where we want to be is in a circumstance where um, we see our children as heavenly parents do, right? Which is each of us is a unique individual. And each of us uh, has our own, not only our our challenges and opportunities, but our biology and chemistry, right? The, our brains are wired in our bodies. And, and each of us has our own gifts and talents. And each of us has our own fears and hopes. Um, and that, so I think what we aim for is how to know an individual with the help of the spirit so clearly that we can see what it is that our heavenly parents see in them, uh, what it is that, that they love about the individual and, and then to be able to be supportive of that individual's growth uh, along the trajectories that will be most helpful to them. And so it's, it's not that we uh, don't have standards or that we give up on our high expectations. I think it's that we, really seek to know the high expectation for each individual and and how it is that we can support and sustain them uh, in the very best path of growth that they have. You know, I think there are, 
I've often said I, the way I prefer to have an analogy about what it means to be gay in them is is like is similar to being born to great wealth or being born with extraordinary intellect, right? That uh, being gay or transgender, uh, queer, is neither morally positive or morally negative. Um, it's morally neutral, and like the inherited wealth or the the enormous intellect. Um, what matters is what we do with what we've been given. And so, you know, uh, wealth can canker our souls or turn us inward. So all we care about is our own pleasure, uh, or it can cause us to, to imagine ways that the world can be made better by the gifts that have been given to us. And the same thing with intellect. You know, we can just go through life feeling we're the smartest person in the room and being annoyed that other people don't catch on as quickly. Uh, or we can turn that harness that power in ways that will benefit the world. And to me, it's the same with being lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, you know, intersex, asexual, all, all the things that, that make up this community I love so dearly. But it is how can these experiences, this path of learning, this way of being, allow me to be a force for good in the world? Uh, and to me, that all comes from how do I become confident in the Savior's awareness and love for me and then desirous of, of an ability to share his love more broadly. So again, I think as parents approach this, it is, you know, what is it that, uh, that their love for that individual can do to help support and sustain their individual path of growth and, and to take uh, joy and pride in that growth. Uh, and the same for each individual. And I, I think we just say, look, it's not that we have higher expectations or lower expectations. It's that we have um, the right expectations based on spiritual insight and revelation provided to us about our stewardship of that individual. Yeah, I love that. Because we all have, I mean, you could actually apply that to anybody in the world, right? That we all yeah. have our different path. We all have been given a certain set of circumstances in our life, and it's up to us what we choose to do with it. Right. Um, so the title of this podcast is is Parenting Through the Detour, and it's based off a quote from Howard W. Hunter, and he said, our detours and disappointments are the straight and narrow way back to him. And I think very much so when you have a child come out to you, you get taken on a detour. You get taken to a place where you, you're not traveling a road that you thought you were going to be traveling in your family or as a parent or with that child. And you have to learn to, as you, as a detour, like on a road trip, if you had a detour, you'd have a different scenery along the way. You would have different stops to make, but it doesn't make it less than the original road right. that you were going to travel. And I believe that. I don't believe Heavenly Father wants us to ever leave the covenant path, but he allows us to, and then uses those experiences that we have for our own good, for our own sanctification, and yes. to bless others along the way, too, by the experiences that we've had in our life. And I've, I'm sure that you have seen that in your own life as you have been used to help so many people. You know, I, I think the words of Section 122 of the Doctrine and Covenants that we, that we can probably all quote by heart, 
uh, as related to Joseph, and we know them so directly in the experiences of his life. But when the Lord says to him, all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good, I think he says that to us as well. You know, we can choose the experiences of our lives. Some of those are wonderful choices. Some of those, at least in the moment, are poor choices. But all of them can be for our good if we're willing to turn to the Savior, uh, to allow him to heal us and to be and to make the experiences sanctified for our learning, for our good, uh, whatever those may be. And I, you know, it's not sometimes, especially when talking to, um, you know, adolescents, uh, I think they sometimes hear this as, yeah, go make all the bad choices you want to. And then eventually, you know, come back and say, okay, now I'm going to you know, make it all right. That's not the point. The point is at each step in our lives, we do the best we can, right? We, we try to assess what is the path of healthiness and happiness in our lives. Um, we seek all the inputs we can, I hope which would be the, the words of prophets, ancient and contemporary, uh, or the answers to prayer, the experiences we see in other people's lives, our own experiences. All those things are inputs as we then try to assess what is the best that we can do at this moment to move forward. And, you know, that's the point. It's, it's not, it means that we can look to our right and look to our left and people will be in different places in their lives, will have made different choices, will will uh, be experiencing different things. And that doesn't make us right or wrong and them right or wrong. It means that just like them, we're doing the best we can at this moment in our lives. And I think we I think the only mistake is, is willingly turning from the Lord and shutting heavenly parents out of our lives, uh, out of a, a feeling that somehow we aren't worthy of their love or that something about us is um, uh, uh, disqualifying of their love, mm -hmm. because that's never true. Um, and so it's, it's, we are those, we are the ones who have turned right. in that circumstance, not them. And so again, I just think like, you know, as I say to the kids who come and talk to me, you know, and have made the decision that they want to date someone of the same sex and, and really feel the best path for them is to find a spouse of the same sex. My comment is always, you know, make one of your criteria in your dating process uh, to find someone that you can kneel with at the end of the day and thank the Lord for the experiences you've had together and to plead for his blessings on you, that you together can be a force for good in the world and that you can uh, help others to experience the love that you feel from heavenly parents and savior. And, and I know sometimes people look at me like I have three heads, but, but isn't that where we all are right there? None of us are perfect. You know, there's no aspect uh, um, that in anyone's life that, that couldn't be refined, but I, but it's our desires that count to the savior. I think of the, the parable, um, that he tells of the the two servants, right? The Lord of the vineyard says to, to both servants, go out and work in the vineyard. One says no, but then eventually does it. The other says yes and doesn't do it, right? I I think the what the Lord is telling us is, you know, our desires are more important necessarily than our actions. And so in any circumstance of our lives, we have the freedom to have desires to approach the Savior and to draw closer to our heavenly parents and and to seek to be instruments of their good in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And that's such a relief to know that we're going to be <laughs> judged by our desires. <laughs> and those are measured better than the things that we do or the outcomes of that. Because I know that sometimes I have done things out of resentment, and I'm sure I didn't receive any blessings for that. Right. But I've also done things out of trying to do the right thing, and it didn't turn out the way that I had expected it to, but I really did have good intentions. Yeah. And I think that that determines our experience of our life is in our intention and our desires. Yeah. And if we just keep adjusting those to be in line with Christ and with you know changing our heart and trying to be more like him, I think eventually we do figure out the things that we need to do. That will that will turn out the way that we want them to. I think when the Savior, in response to the question of a certain lawyer, you know, said that of the 612 commandments of the law of Moses, you know, which is most important, that it is to love the Lord, and the second like unto it to love our neighbors. You know, I I think sometimes we think about love as the easy thing, but I, I think if we're really uh, aiming for the sort of love that, that Jesus spoke, it's the hardest thing because it means we have to give up our fears and we have to give up our pride and we have to give up so many other things to be able to wholeheartedly love what he loves and in the way that he loves and um, and to you know to let ourselves be less important uh, let our let the opinions of others about us, be less important. Let our worries about how others see us or our families be less important than our desire to follow the two greatest commandments. And everything else will be made, uh, everything else will, will come as a result of our single-minded devotion to learning to love in that way. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was talking about how um, you know, God sees the the entire plan of salvation and has like a really wide view. But here we are on this earth with a very microscopic view. Right. And we get really fixated on things that aren't important. Yeah. And we don't see things the way that he does. I mean, he tells us that in the scriptures that my thoughts are not your thoughts. And right. you know, I don't do things the way that you do them. Um, but we get really fixated on the minutia and the things like worrying about how our neighbor sees us and worry about if, you know, is my son going to serve a mission and things like right. that. When what we really need to be concerned with is who am I becoming on this earth? Right. Right. How am I using these experiences that I'm having, even especially the ones that I don't really want or don't really like that are things when things aren't going the way that I want them to, how am I using those to become a new person and to be more Christ-like. Right. You know, I, I also think of uh, what the Lord said in the, I think it's the 50th section, it's 49th or 50th section of Doctrine and Covenants, um, that, that there are holy men you know not of. So he's talking to Joseph, and, I, and um, a friend of mine was pointing this out to me some time ago and said, um, you know, Joseph would have known all the members of the church, right? Um so that, by definition, means that there are holy men and women outside of the church. And, and I think that's another perspective, too. It's not just, mm -hmm. um, you know, how can I uh, grow in the paths that I see and I'm given? Uh, but it's also, how can I open my eyes to holiness around me in the larger world? 
and and um, and perhaps in my children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how are there? How does that holiness exist uh, in other places and in other ways? And how can I grow in my um, both my love for the broader world and my understanding that holiness exists in all places, uh, and my desire to see it? to find it and and to uh, both grow from it and nurture it. And again, I think that can be in the in the lives of our children and it can be in the lives of people we work with, people in the community, people in other parts of the world, right? That um, that the Lord has, that there are so many people who love the Lord and use different language to describe it perhaps than we do. Mm-hmm. But but their holiness is an, is an opportunity for us to learn and grow as well. And sometimes I think that they do a better job of loving people in a Christ-like way than we do inside the church. I think there's a lot of really wonderful people outside the church that really love Jesus yeah, and really love, you know, the following him and being his disciple. Hey, um, Fiona Givens, uh, who is a beloved friend, uh, said something one time in, in terms of, imagining you know a point in the next life where individuals come before the savior and um the the one might say what what um what you or I would say which is i have <clears throat> i've known you and loved you my whole life and another might say i've known and loved you my whole life even though i thought your name was buddha or i've known and loved you my whole life and I called you Muhammad, or I called you Allah, um, not Muhammad. But um, and I, I think that sense of um, the holiness again of uh, of everyone in their desire to love God uh, in the framework of their context of knowing Him, heavenly parents and Savior, um, is so powerful and and so humbling mm-hmm. right? that that uh, there are people in our wards who truly know and love the savior and people outside of them and um, what a what a gift it is to us to be able to see and know those people and to be lifted by them and be strengthened in our own desires to become like them yes absolutely oh and i am a super fan of fiona and terrell gibbons <laughs> by the way <laughs> they are wonderful Yes, I love all of their works too. So I was listening to or watching a, a fireside earlier this year by Patrick Mason. Mm-hmm. And he gave a fireside in Northern Utah a couple, a few months ago. He gave a statistic during that fireside that 46% of children who are born and raised in the church are remaining into adulthood, which I know I'm going to put that statistic out there and it's going to strike fear in a lot of hearts of parents when they hear that, that more than half of our children are leaving before they um, get to adulthood. And it's subjective what you mean by, if you say like they left the church, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that that could happen. Um, But Jenna Reese dives more into that. As far as statistics go, she has a lot of them in the next Mormons in her book. Right. So I really think that we in our relationships with our kids, that when we hear statistics like that, or we see 
kids or, or, you know, sometimes adults leaving that we start to react to our family members out of fear. Yeah. And fear is not emotion that God uses. He doesn't become fearful when he sees those things. Um, But we, in our limited view of our limited perspective of this earth life and, and the things that we see the people that we love doing react out of fear. So I really believe that we also need to do better in our individually and collectively in connecting our children and our members to have a more personal relationship with Christ. Yes. And that that is the thing that helps you when you have those questions and doubts, when they come up, Um, that's the thing that grounds you and holds you. Just like the primary song, building on a strong, that firm foundation, right? (laughs) Uh, Building on a rock. But what's your thoughts on that? You know, I'm not a parent, but when I hear that statistic, I I think the thought that comes to my mind is it would make me want to be even more intentional and focused on helping my children come to know the Savior. to have the experiences that let them um, know he knows them, right, and is aware of them, and um, it makes me think the of the millennial declaration of the fifteen apostles, the living Christ. You know, if there's a family motto, I, I think we would want it to be that that uh, that our great prayer is that the experiences of our homes will allow our children to grow in certainty of the reality of Jesus Christ and um, and to be able to know that he loves them. I, in my life, have had the experience more than once of, of feeling that the only thing I could do was drop to my knees and say, do you know I'm here? And I, I just feel like that's a prayer that, that heavenly parents love to answer. And it may not be instant, um, but certainly uh, in their time and their way, the answer does come, and it's uh, and it's powerful. And it, and that's that is the anchor of my faith, I guess, is um, that certainty that uh, that heavenly parents and Savior know me, and that I have their love personally in my life, um, and I I'm grateful for a family that uh, that valued that sort of knowledge and, and did the things I could to help put me in a position where I would seek it. Mm-hmm. Now it was my choice to seek it. Right. But, uh, but it has, uh, it is my life, right. It is, I was going to say it's changed the direction of my life, but it isn't, it is the foundation of my life. And, um, and I, I think that's, I think that's just gotta be our focus, which is that everything else can be added on to that. But the foundation that we most critically need is is both uh, awareness of our heavenly parents and Savior and knowledge of their awareness of us. And mm-hmm. then knowing that the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ means if we will turn to him, we will be healed. And I really, I think he loves, I think it gives him joy that we allow him to heal us. And um, and I think we can feel that joy in those daily moments of turning to Him uh, and desiring to to more directly 
approach him, know him, and uh, have our hearts become as his. Yeah. And for sure, parents can provide opportunities in their homes to invite the spirit and to have their children participate in, you know, different things, but it's always up to the individual. That agency always plays in whether, whether that child's going to allow that touching of their own spirit to happen and whether they're going to allow that to come into their lives. But certainly it's our job to provide that opportunity in our homes. You know, there, um, I, I think it has a, a particular meaning to me because it uh, it took place at a, at a critical moment in my life. But um, the evening that I was meeting with the um, stake high council and, first, and stake presidency uh, in um, in my uh, stake in New Canaan, Connecticut, um, in uh, October of I guess it was September of 2014. Um, which was the um, sorry the the point of um, being the determination to be baptized and to take the steps necessary for that to happen. Um, that same evening, my oldest brother, Elder Christopherson, was speaking to a fireside devotional of uh, the church education system at Brigham Young University, um, and his talk was entitled. Um, saving your life and there's a there's a piece in that that i that is so deeply meaningful to me and i and i think can be uh, to parents as well and i'm now seeing if i can find it quickly to be able to share it with you um he said in that um in reality the best way to help those we love the best way we love the best way to love them is to continue to put the Savior first. If we cast ourselves adrift from the Lord out of sympathy for loved ones who are suffering or distressed, then we lose the means by which we might have helped them. If, however, we remain firmly rooted in the faith in Christ, we are in a position both to receive and to offer divine help. If, or I should say when, the moment comes that a beloved family member wants desperately to turn to the only true and lasting source of help, he or she will know whom to trust as a guide and a companion. In the meantime, with the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide, we can perform a steady ministry to lessen the pain of poor choices and bind up the wounds insofar as we are permitted. Otherwise, we serve neither those we love nor ourselves. And uh, I I think those are such profound truths uh, expressed there that... um, that we don't make choices for other people. We can't determine uh, the, the course of their lives necessarily, but, but in our own determination to follow Christ and to be firmly rooted uh, in his gospel, in his truth, in his love, we retain then or gain the, uh, the ability to bind up wounds and to be an anchor, uh, a source of uh, support and strength um, as others, especially our children, uh, have need of it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that's where our strength lies in being that firm, that steady source of Christ-like love to our children as right. they make choices. And sometimes those choices are not going to be the best ones, but they're going to learn from them. Right. 
and we're going to learn from our mistakes just like they are. But yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. And and when we were emailing a couple of years ago, you wrote something that I have thought about quite frequently. You said, I don't think there's anything too great for him to ask of us because he gives us strength to bear up. And in that email, you were referring to my son, some, a question that I asked you about my son, but I've applied that same principle to me and that there's nothing too great of him to ask from me because he will be there to help me and bear yep. me up too. And that one statement has gotten me through so many difficult times and really times where I, I felt like I, that was the only thing that I could hold on to was just to rely on that relationship yeah. that I had with Christ and to, and to trust in Heavenly Father. So thank you so much for giving me those words and, and helping me to, um, to make it through some really tough times. Thank you. I, um, and I feel like in our conversation today, we've, I've probably been at more of a high level than than necessarily just you know directly talking about my own personal experiences. But I you know, I hope I hope there is something that's useful in in the conversation to to someone else as they try to figure out how best to love their child and the Lord, mm-hmm. um, how to how not to choose between faith and family, but how to embrace both. That each gives meaning to the other. Um, but I also I just want to be sure we kind of leave um, the conversation with the reassurance to anyone who's listening that um, you know that there is no catastrophe in life <laughs> uh, unless it is that we are unwilling to let the Lord heal us. You know that's the only thing that really I think is a catastrophe. That what however things go, whatever the direction, however. Um, in whatever the circumstances of our lives or the lives of those we love, um, there can be growth and healing and blessing and love um, through our willingness to, to at last turn to the Savior and, and allow that healing gift to occur. So our journeys won't look the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will, there are times when, when we're just hurt and angry and in pain. Um, but there can also come times of peace and reassurance and and uh, love. And I, I guess my my prayer for all who go through this experience with us is again that, that this will be a time that that helps each one of us to know more clearly uh, the love of our heavenly parents and Savior uh, as we see it in our lives and the lives of those we love, and to be willing to wait patiently on the Lord in, in the circumstances because we have hope in him. Yes. That's, those are beautiful closing words. And well, thank thanks. you so much. Well, I've enjoyed our, our time. I hope it will be useful to someone. I'm sure it will be <laughs> somebody <laughs> that needs to hear those words today. Thanks for listening to parenting through the detour podcast. I'm your host, Tina Gosney. If you want to learn more about my work, please visit me at tinagosney.com. That's T-I-N-A-G-O-S-N-E-Y.com. And don't forget to subscribe and follow this podcast. I'll see you next week.